Section 6 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by D. Randall. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 2, Part 4. The list of killed had already brought the names of several officers whom I had known personally. Among others, that of the son, her only one, of an old lady for whom I had conceived a great feeling of respect. That day I determined to visit the poor lady. It was, for me, a painful, heavy journey. I could certainly give her no consolation, could only weep with her, but it was the duty of affection, and so I set out. When I got to Frau V. Elman's dwelling, I long hesitated before pulling the bell. The last time I had been there was to a cheerful little dance. The dear old mistress of the house was herself thin, full of joy. Martha, she said to me in the course of the evening, we are the two most enviable women in Vienna. You have the handsomest of husbands, and I the most excellent of sons. And today, I still indeed had my husband, but who knows? The shells and grape-shot were flying there still without ceasing. The minute just passed might have made me a widow, and I began to weep before the door. That was the proper temper for so mournful a visit. I rang. No one came. I rang a second time. Again, no answer. Then someone put his head out of the door of one of the other floors. It is no good ringing, miss. The dwelling is empty. What? Has Frau V. Ullman gone? She was taken to a lunatic asylum three days since, and the head disappeared again as the door shut. I remained for a minute or two motionless, rooted to the spot, and the things which must have been going on here passed before my eyes. To what a height must the poor lady's sufferings have risen before her agony broke out in madness? And there is my father, wishing that the war might last thirty years for the welfare of the country. How many more such mothers in the country would have been driven to desperation? I went down the stairs, shaken to my inmost death. I determined that I would pay another visit to a young lady, a friend of mine whose husband, like mine, was at the theater of war. My way led me through the Herengasse, past the building called the Landhouse, where the Patriotic Aid Association had established its offices. At that time, there was not as yet any convention of Geneva, any Red Cross, and this aid association had been formed as a forerunner of these humane institutions, its task being to receive alms of all kinds, in money, linen, sharpie, bandages, etc., for the poor wounded, and forward them to the seat of war. The gifts came flowing in abundantly from all sides. It was necessary to have whole shops to receive them, and scarcely were the different articles packed up and sent off when new ones were piled up again in their place. I went in. I was in distress till I could hand over to the committee all that I had in my purse. Perhaps that might bring health and deliverance to some suffering soldier and save his mother from madness. I knew the president. Is Prince C. here? I asked the porter. Not just now, but the vice president, Baron S., is upstairs. He showed me the way to the room where the alms and money were paid. I had to pass through several halls where on long tables were the packets lying in rows. 
parcels of linen, cigars, tobacco, and especially mountains of Sharpie. It made me shudder. How many wounds must be bleeding there to be covered with all this torn linen? And there was my father, I thought again, wishing that for the country's good, the war might last another thirty years. How many of the country's sons must, in that case, sink under their wounds? Baron S. received my contribution with thanks and gave me the most ready information about the working of the association in reply to my numerous questions. It was joyful and comforting to hear how much good was thus done. Just at the time came the postman with some letters that had newly arrived and announced that two barrels of offerings had to be delivered from the country. I placed myself on a sofa, which was in the lower part of the room, to watch the reception of the packets. They were, however, delivered in another room. A very old gentleman now came in, who by his bearing was evidently an old soldier. Permit me, Baron, he said as he drew out his purse and sat down on a stool by the table. Permit me to add my little mite, too, to your noble work, and he gave him a note for a hundred florins. I look on all this organization of yours as really angelic. You see, I am an old soldier myself, and he gave his name as General. And I can judge what an enormous blessing it is to the poor fellows who are fighting out there. I served in the campaigns of the years 9 and 13. At that time, there was no patriotic aid association. At that time, no one sent chests of bandages and sharpie after the wounded. How many must then have bled to death in misery when the resources of the army surgeons were exhausted? Who might have been saved by sending such things as I see here? Ah, yours is a blessed work. You good noble men, you do not know, no, you do not know how much good you are doing there. And two great tears fell on the old man's white mustache. A noise of steps and voices arose outside. Both leaves of the entrance door were thrown open and a guardsman announced, Her Majesty the Empress. The Vice President hurried out to the gate to receive his exalted visitor, as beseemed at the foot of the stairs, but she had already got into the anteroom. I, from my concealed position, looked with admiration on the young sovereign, who in coming walking dress appeared to me almost lovelier than in her state robes at the court ball. I am come, she said to Baron S., because I received a letter today from the emperor from the seat of war, in which he writes to tell me how useful and acceptable the gifts of the Patriotic Aid Association have proved, and so I wish to look into the matter myself and put the committee in receipt of the emperor's acknowledgment. On this she made them give her information about all the details of the working of the association, and examined as she went along the various objects from their stores. Just look, Countess, she said to the mistress of the robes, who was with her, taking an article of underclothing in her hand. How good this linen is, and how beautifully sewn. Then she begged the vice president to conduct her into another of the rooms, and left the hall by his side. She spoke to him with visible contentment, and I heard her say besides, It is a fine patriotic undertaking and to the poor soldiers. I could not catch any more. Poor soldiers. The word kept coming back to me for a long time. She had pronounced it with so much pity. Yes, poor, indeed. And the more one could do to send them help and comfort, the better. But it ran through my head. If they had not sent these poor people into this misery at all, 
Would not that have been much better? I tried to scare away the thought. It must be so. It must be so. There is no other excuse for the cruelty of making war except what is contained in the little word must. Now I went on my way again. The friend whom I was going to visit lived quite close to the land house on the coal mart. As I walked along, I went into a book and print shop to buy myself a new map of Upper Italy. Ours had become quite riddled with sticking in the little flags on pens. Besides me, there were many other customers in the place. All were asking for maps, diagrams, and so forth. Now came my turn. Do you want the theater of war too, please? asked the bookseller. You have guessed it. No difficulty in that. There is hardly anything else bought. He went to get what I wanted, and while he wrapped up the roll in paper for me, he said to a gentleman standing next to me, You see, Professor, just now things go badly for those who write or publish books on belletre or science. No one asks for such things. As long as the war lasts, no interest is taken by anyone in intellectual matters. It is a bad time for writers and booksellers. And a bad time for the nation, replied the professor, since a loss of interest in such things is naturally followed by its decline in the intellectual scale. And there is my father wishing, thought I for the third time, that for the good of the country a thirty years' war. I now took part audibly in the conversation. So your business is doing badly? Mine only? No. Almost all, your ladyship, answered the bookseller. Except the providers for the army, there are no tradesmen to whom the war has not brought untold loss. Everything is at a standstill. Work in the factories, work in the fields. Men without number are without places and without bread. Our paper is falling, the exchange rising. All desire for enterprise is decaying. Many firms must go bankrupt. In short, it is a misery. A misery. And there is my father wishing. I repeated in silence as I left the shop. End of section 6